0: Well, I've had fun in this whole, we're, we're about to come to the end of this feast, um, RSVP, uh, Thou Shalt Party. And uh, I, I love, yeah, it, it's nice to hear it from someone in America. Um, you know, I saw Pastor Jeff this morning, he's out at a table for the Israel trip, and, and uh, every time I watch online when I'm not here, I always watch the message, and, and I just kind of smile when he says, Thou Shalt Party. And I'm just so glad that. You understand, and uh, we love Mr. Lucas and his wife, but uh, we're delighted to to talk about this. This series is, it's been all about reminding us. Every one of these feasts, it's a reminder. Don't forget what God did here. Don't forget what God did over here, over there. Do you guys remember when? Teach your kids to say this. Do this. And, and what it is is it's a tendency in our human nature to forget. And so I think that's why these celebrations are important, and these feasts are important. So I get to talk about the Feast of, of Tabernacles, which is such a funny word. It's not a word we use much in our culture anymore, but we're going to talk about it today. Just say it with me. Tabernacle. It just sounds good, doesn't it? Tabernacle. How many of you have ever been camping? How many of you stopped camping after you did it? Okay. A few <laughs> A few of you did. I've been, I've been intrigued with all the different kinds of camping that is out there now. Uh, how many of you have ever really done like a backpack? Bonnie and I, one time, we put everything in our pack, our sleeping bag, our tent, food, spam, you know, the whole, <laughs> you notice I said food separate from spam, right, okay? Okay. Um, How many of you have done that, where you you go up and you take everything in your back? Good job. How many of you do more like a campsite camping, where there's a fire ring, maybe a picnic table? That's a pretty fun way to do it. It's not as hard on your body and all of that. Car camping. This new thing in the last few years called glamping. You heard of this? It's like, it's the two words of glamour and camping, and it's called glamping. And it's like these really fancy tents. And um campers that are all redone and really great food and fine wine. And it's like this upper end. I Bonnie and I have never done that one yet, okay? But we did have the privilege. We have a, a an older uh camp trailer that we pulled behind the truck. And so this past week we had a few days and I we just said, let's let's go camping. And so we we hooked on the camper and and we drove up. Uh, to State Forest State Park. It's a great place outside of Gould and Walden there. And we pulled in, and we sort of picked the primitive sites, like back in the back, away from the people. But driving through the campsites that you can (laughs) pre-order, we saw some of the biggest fifth-wheel trailers. They're like as big as this platform. I mean, massive with these big slide-out things and, and you got you got dish net up on the top on big screen tvs and there's there's a hot tub in there somewhere. I don't know where it is, but I just was I was is that really camping? Yes it is and I want one. Yes it is I want one. I'm committed. <laughs> now the truth about all this is why I'm even talking about camping is this feast of tabernacles is a lot like the idea of camping. It's the idea that you do not have permanence. That's the idea. This is a God who wants you to depend on him. And so keep that in mind as we walk through this. God has invited you and me to depend on him more than anything else in our lives. So pull out your... Your program there, if you want, you can take notes on the back. We also have a Timberline app that you can download. It's really easy, it's really a good app. You can watch stuff, give, you can do all kinds of stuff through it. And the outlines are always on there as well. Number one, what are these tabernacles? I always like to start with just sort of a definition of what the tabernacles were and what it was for. So I'll make these first couple of points pretty quick. But if you follow the Jewish calendar, they still, many of them still do this Feast of Tabernacles and it would happen in 2019. It's once a year and the week that is set aside for it is October 13 through 20. And there are some specific dates even in scripture about the Hebrew calendar and when this feast is supposed to happen. It is, uh, these booths, so, some people call them booths. Your Bible might even say the Feast of Booths. Booths. It just, it's hard to say. A, okay, I'm with you. Booths, it is hard to say. But they're little shelters. We have a pic of one that is an actual tabernacle in someone's backyard who is celebrating this particular thing. So you see their house on the left, but look at what they've done in their backyard. They have built a, a A non-permanent structure, like a tent or a piece of canvas, and they've put a table in there because that's very important, because this this feast involves a lot of really good food. Praise God. I'm glad God likes good food. So what, what a family typically these days, they don't live in that shelter the whole week, but they will go out there throughout the week. They will give thanks to God. A mom or a dad might tell the story of the children of Israel who left Egypt, and they talk about that dwelling place where God provided. So that's really what this is. We have, I, I today have my daughters, our youngest daughter, Brookie. This is her tent, and I brought it with me. Slept here last night praying for the day. And no, I'm kidding, I did not. Um But but this is really a great example in our culture of. Of if it was bigger, of kind of what a tabernacle was. They are structures that you can actually go in, you can eat, you can sleep. You could live there if, if you had to, but it's not ideal, right? And so, so you just need to, I'll use that a little bit later in an illustration, and I want you to just have it in your mind correctly. Because we know, we know that home is not a house. It's not a structure, I can be together with with our family and grandkids and kids and and it's home wherever we are because we're together. So it's not about the structure. And God was trying to separate this idea that materialism comes first from the spirit of God which lives in us. You can have nothing materially and have the fullness of God in your life. Praise God for that, right? So this message, it's not about not having money or being poor. Wealth, some of the richest people in all of the world are in the Bible. God's blessing sometimes comes with wealth. Not always, but sometimes. So don't get confused and think that we're not to ever accumulate or acquire. Um, God made us to enjoy accumulation. He made us to earn. He made us to work. He made us to have dreams and a vision. It's just that the Bible says the love of money The love of it, that's what wrecks it for people. It's the love of it. So God is trying to give us this reminder. Number two in your outline is, what what is it that happens during the feast? So let me give you kind of a rundown of what the week would look like. On the first day, it would be a day much like our Thanksgiving, where it's primarily... We say it's about giving thanks, but it's primarily about eating, eating. So, so there's this huge feast, and, and the families would just eat throughout the day different foods. They would bring the best, like, you know, if I said, what is your favorite food groups? It's all of that. It's everything that you, when I think of like a perfect filet and a lobster and some shrimp cocktail How many of you, that's not your favorite food? Oh, get out, go. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, I get it, Um, and I don't have that stuff too often, but it is, it's some of my favorite food on a special occasion. But it would be their favorite foods, and they would just really enjoy this big meal. Then they would just live in and out of that tabernacle, that shelter, and talk about God, and talk about the delivery. And, And here's the thing, In our American dream, if I can use that phrase, I think most of you would know what that means, we are really set on establishing ourselves in having things that we believe are permanent. This feast is a reminder that when you walk with God, nothing is permanent. God is the provision for all things. So they would, they would say this certain psalm during this feast. It's Psalm 118, verse 25, and they would repeat it over and over. And it goes like this. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. They would, they would repeat that. Now, this feast has to do with the fact that God took Israel on a journey. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Jeff talk about some of the things that that he's doing with eternity and the soul and the new man and the new body and some of the things that can happen. But, but God was saying, here on this earth, I want to be your provider. And he wanted Israel to remember when they left the bondage of Egypt, remember even one of the feasts is, don't leaven your bread. Remember that? Because you're going to be out of here fast. So when I say go, you go. Well, you don't have time to take your house. You don't have time to take brick and mortar. So they ended up being caravan people, tent people, shelter, tabernacles. And they dwelt in these tabernacles. Every time they would stop, God would provide. God's saying, let's go on a journey. Now, just the last thing with point two is this. In John chapter one in the New Testament, Jesus is coming to earth, and John the Baptist makes this big declaration about the word becomes flesh. It's actually John the, the writer who's writing John, but John the Baptist ends up baptizing Jesus. But it's this idea that the word becomes flesh. Who is that referring to, the word? Jesus. So let me read to you what happens. This is a very important verse in understanding this word tabernacle. So the word became human, this is John 1.14, and made his home, that's a perfect phrase, Among us, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. That little phrase made his home, some of you have a Bible that says dwelt among us. Guess what that word is in the Hebrew equal? Tabernacle. Jesus left heaven and he came to earth to tabernacle with us, to dwell with us, to be among us, to live in us. So we have a God who not only comes down from heaven, but he wants to be specifically involved in our daily routines and he wants to be our provider and he wants to be the source of everything in our life. Everything. Not just food and clothing and shelter, but everything. Our spirit man, our freedom, our joy, our expressions. He wants to live, wants a tabernacle with us. Number three. The purpose of this feast is to be reminded to depend on God. Now we all, in my little, you know, Christianese mindset, sometimes when when I would hear a pastor say, are you depending on God, my initial answer would be, sure, of course I am, every day. But (laughs) I would invite you to take a little closer look at your life. Now this is not a guilt trip sermon, so I'm not trying to dig up anything and get guilt thrown on you. But I want you to evaluate. How much dependence do you have on God seriously? How much dependence do you believe you have on God? In in Leviticus chapter 23 is where this feast is declared by God. And I'm going to read it just so you can see where it is in scripture. Leviticus 23 starting with verse 42. For 7 days you must live outside in little shelters or tabernacles. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. And then this, this big proclamation I am the Lord your God. That's a very important statement. He's saying, You lived in these little shelters which were not permanent. Why? Because I am the Lord your God, because I am the provider of the things in your life. That's why you don't have to have a permanent residence because I am God and I'm the provider. I was thinking about what this meant. So how did they travel back in the day when they left Egypt? Do you guys remember? In the daytime, what was it that they followed? Was in the sky a cloud. God literally used a cloud in the sky and he said, follow that cloud. So they don't know when this is going to happen. They wake up one morning from their tabernacle. They walk outside. The cloud starts moving. The horn sounds and everybody goes, whoa, all right, grab your tabernacle. Let's move. And boom, off they go. They don't know. What was it at night? A ball of fire. Oh, we're moving. Everybody pack up. You know, if if you move a lot, you get rid of junk. Would you agree? Some of you have lived in the same house for 20 years. I never want to clean out your attic because you thought you would use that stuff, right? I don't even know what I'm talking about. It just, it just ends up in there, and you just go, Wow, did we save this for the mice? Really? So, what happened is Israel was lean and mean. I mean, they were ready to move. When that cloud moved and that fire moved, they just packed up, folded things down, and boom, they're gone. And that's a picture of the readiness of the church. It's a picture of the readiness of an individual that says, God, you show me. You tell me what to do. I'm ready. I am not being held back by all this materialism and all this stuff that that I think is mine. Because if you say move, I want to move. God wants to remind us. How did they eat? Manna from where? Are you serious? They don't have food. How many of you, be honest, how many of you actually have food in a refrigerator somewhere right now that that is yours? Faithless people. (laughs) Right? No, it's common sense. I do too, right? How many of you actually have a a bar of food or something even in your car right now outside? Yeah, look at all of you. How many of you have food with you right now, like in your purse or something? (laughs) Come and repent. You have no faith in God. No, this manna, think about this. Now, I I know, we we know historically, but this is a big deal. I'm getting hungry, I'm walking around the desert, and I don't have an option. We like options. We like grocery stores. I don't have an option. I just look up saying I'm hungry, and food starts falling out of the sky. Wow. You talk about dependence. Dependence. You talk about seeing the hand of God work in your life when he's the supplier actually of your food. I mean, that's a really big deal. And then God says, all right, let's go again. Off we go. And then the manna falls somewhere else. Here's sometimes our picture of what we think is success in human terms. Now, let me just write that word up here. And I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise with me. I want you to finish this sentence. It's a definition. Success is, don't say it out loud, but in your mind, finish that sentence. Go ahead. You can write, write it down even if you want to. Success is. You have some thoughts? It's not that easy, is it? As a pastor, you know what the first thing came to my mind was? To do the will of God. Well, isn't that just holy and wonderful? <laughs> just, just so, so nice. Success is doing the will of God. I know, it's so spiritual. It's pathetic, isn't it? Well, in a sense, it's a very good answer. But it's it's the complication of learning the will of God and having the courage to do the will of God. That's where the problems start. That's where the challenges are. And in our culture, we are taught you start your company, you start your family, and success looks like this. I'm going to have a healthy, perfect life. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to love my job. I'm going to employ other people. And then I can say, we say, boy, that person is very successful. Have you seen the house they live in? Have you seen the car they drive? Have you seen what they wear? Have you That person is successful. And what happens in our culture is we chase that dream. And sometimes we don't even know we are. We don't even know that we're, we're caving in to peer pressure to, to want that new device, to want that new item. And I'm a gadget person, so I'm always tempted by this. And I've, I've really had to go deep in my own heart and say, God, what is, it, what is it really in my life that matters? What is most important to me? Because that's really not success. Let me show you what this picture looks like of real success in God's eyes. Wait till you see the animal this is when I'm done. It's a journey. Here's, here's what happens. You you might have a downtime in your life, and you're right in the will of God. You might you might spin. You might be in a spinning mode right now and it feels out of control and you can't see what tomorrow holds and you're right in the will of God. And you know what he's doing? He's tabernacling with you. (laughs) I think I made that word up, but I like it. He's tabernacling with you. He's with you. He's with you in all this. And then you have a big upturn. Wow, that was nice. Oh, I guess it didn't last long. This is the real journey in real life that God intends for us to have because we don't know the future. We cannot create the future. You you can go to seminars all day long and say, create your own future, dream the dream, and make it happen. Well, at the end of the day, if you belong to God, you're gonna submit your life, you're gonna surrender your life, and you're gonna say, your plan is what I choose. You show me the way, and I will go that direction. God wants to remind us that he is in control, that he is our God. That's why we have the Feast of Tabernacles, so that Israel would not forget that he is a God who takes us. Now, that's, that takes us to the fourth point. Am I living with a temporary mindset? Am I living with this temporary mindset that says, "I I realize how fragile all this is, and I have to go to this, this passage over in Philippians where Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he's talking about that, you know, his his greatness in a sense, um, his Jewish tradition, his education, all the things he's accomplished in his life and then he just stops and says, all of that is worthless compared to the love of God. It's in Philippians chapter three, verse seven. Look at this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Let me let you in on a little secret. Some of you have a translation that says dung instead of garbage. There's even a worse word (laughs) that's more like the Greek word here. It's a low life word. All that stuff is dung. When you compare it to the love of God, none of that matters. Don't let that hold on to you because you have this. And this is much more important. I have a wonderful memory of a, a man and his kids. He's, he's home with the Lord now, Dr. David Irwin. Um, he was a missionary and a strong leader. He created tons of wonderful opportunities for people around the world in his mission's mind and he was brilliant. And when he passed away, he had a lot of people at his funeral, a lot of nice things said, but when the kids started cleaning out his, his desk at home, they came across a file And they pulled the drawer open and it had all the tabs. You know how you put tabs with things on about what's in the file? And he literally had a file with a tab on it that said dung, D-U-N-G. They were kind of afraid to open it. (laughs) It's like, what is in here? They pulled that, the legal size, they opened it up, and there were three pieces of paper in there. And you know what they were? They were three certificates of his three doctorates. Now, if you have a doctorate and you hang it on your wall in your office, good for you. I'm for that. So don't take this wrong. But here's a guy who, for whatever reason, decided that that's really what that was in comparison to the love of God. What's really important, what really matters, it boils down to being much more than money much more than accumulation, much more than education. It boils down to God and relationships and the empowerment of the Spirit to do the will of God on this earth. Wow, sometimes I'm convicted of how hard we work to acquire that next thing. But God, God isn't bothered by that as long as we understand this Feast of Tabernacles is making a statement. Let me be your God. Let me be your supplier. Number five. Walking with God is all about the journey. It's it's not about the destination. And I'll tell you why. Other than heaven, I mean, obviously God is preparing an eternity for us. But I'm not sure what my destination is on this earth. I just don't know. I don't know what it is. Why? Because I'm trying to walk in the spirit and be sensitive to what God is asking in my life and if I if I'm happy with the journey then that's what matters most I may never get to the destination I had in mind but if I'm in the journey that's what this picture is I I've had time this week to reminisce I I sat down and I I said God show me my journey and I started thinking about things that I haven't thought of in decades and I started to become really grateful for things that I had been taking for granted you know, one of the things that I've taken for granted in my life is my heritage. I've always been appreciative. But how many of you in this room, you know, you don't have Christian parents. You didn't have, you didn't learn about God. I, I was born into a loving family. I had a dad who adored me and a mom who adored me and my sisters. And we, we had God and love and care and nurturing. I mean, that's rare these days. It's rare, and I had that. I grew up with that security in my life. I when when I met Bonnie in high school, uh, she was really not a, a declared follower of Jesus, and I knew if I was going to marry her, that could be important. <laughs> if I was going to be a pastor, right? Um, but God revealed Himself to her. But she had she has a very loving family, but no history in Bible knowledge. I knew the books of the Bible when I was five years old. You know what I'm saying? Well, she didn't have a clue. I bought her a Bible after we got married, and, and we would be sitting in church. We were youth pastors in Tennessee doing an internship, and, and the pastor would say, open your Bible to the book of Isaiah, and she said, what I do, dear, is I look around at everyone else, and if they go about halfway, then I go about halfway. If they go three quarters, I go three quarters. She said, I like the big books like Psalms and Isaiah because you can find them pretty fast. But when you get back into those Shuns book, Galatians, you know, all those Ephesians, I I can't find them. And I'm just so embarrassed. And so I got her little tabs to put on her Bible where she could see them and wouldn't have to face that embarrassment. But that's just knowledge. Guess what? I've taken that for granted. I've heard almost every Bible story there is. Because I grew up in it. I, I, I don't, I'm not taking that for granted anymore. That's been an anchor in my life that I haven't even fully appreciated. And many of you have never had that. And I'm just grateful. I remember my call into ministry. I was standing at a youth camp, I was 16 years old. And I, I didn't think I was going to be a pastor, I, I really didn't. And, and all of a sudden, this camp speaker said some of you right now are being called into full time vocational ministry. My heart just started racing. My palms started sweating. I felt something happen. And there were no pretty girls in the room that I can remember. <laughs> it was God. You know what I'm saying? It was just boom. All of a sudden I was just overwhelmed with the spirit of God. And, I, and they, they said, you're going to walk down there. And I, I can almost remember like it was almost like half zombie. Like I'm walking down there right now. I can't believe I'm. God is calling me to this. I didn't choose this. God put me in this. I'm so thankful. I never dreamed in 1986 Bonnie and I would move to Fort Collins. Never dreamed. And we would come to this wonderful church. I remember the pastor before us, Pastor Richard Stevens, wonderful man and his wife, they had pastored this church for 10 years. And I remember telling Bonnie, oh, my word, that's forever. How can you stay at a church for 10 years? years. Yeah, we just made it past 30. It's crazy. No, no, don't clap. I'm clapping. I'm clapping because you've put up with me. I told our our deacon team, I say, look, just remember, if you get rid of me, then Bonnie's going with me. So I know they won't get rid of me because they want to keep her around. I didn't expect my dad to die when I was 14 and he died of cancer. I didn't I didn't see that coming in this journey. Some of you who have lost loved ones or children, let me tell you something. When I watched today on stage, that family dedicating, that child, really, really important. Let me just give you the three things here. Three things to think about. And this has to do with what I'm about to say. What do I own and what owns me? What do I own and what owns me? These are questions I want you to ask this week. When I watch a family dedicate their their child, it almost always brings tears to my eyes because I, I just don't realize, I don't think it's possible to realize the gravity of that decision when you say, God, I'm recognizing I am not the owner. Matter of fact, I did something this week in my notes. I had this... This word that I wrote down, what do I own? I put ownership up here, and I started listing some things, which was kind of silly. But I was just trying. And I ended up doing this. I ended up writing this word, stewardship. Sorry, I'm messing up the arrow. And I X'd this one out. And you know why I did that? Because in my own heart, in my own life, I just have this recognition and this realization that I don't own anything in my life. I don't own anything. I don't own the shirt on my back today. I steward it. I steward it. I, there's some titles to vehicles that have me and Bonnie's name on them that the state of Colorado says we own them, but we really don't. They're God's. You say, well, that's kind of over spiritualization. No, it's actually reality. You know why? Because God might say, give it away. God might say, Why don't you go there? Why don't you go here? Why don't you take that tabernacle and why don't you give it to somebody? Why don't you live on the faith that I have in your heart? And why don't you trust me with the promises I have given you? Don't let this stuff own you. Don't do it. We are the people of God. And we trust him and he has entrusted to us this precious message of the good news of Jesus Christ. So don't let that hook get in you. Yes, make a living. Yes, make, I don't care if you're wealthy. Don't let it own you, Amen? amen? Don't let it own you. And that's with money or not, anything in life. Number two, how will I practice my dependence on God? How will I practice it? This was the hardest thing I did in building this message because I tried to list how I'm practicing my dependence on God. And my list was really short. Cuz I don't I don't have a lot of practices that I can identify. Giving is one of them. Tithing, I'm a tither. I'm a giver to missions. I'm a giver to Bonnie and I both. We've committed that. That's showing my dependence on God. Lord, this belongs to you. I know it's all yours. And then when it came to time, I I wrote some things down about time and volunteering and doing some things or but, man, it was hard. I'd love to get ideas what, what your list is when, when you say, how am I practicing the fact? When am I having the Feast of Tabernacles? When am I walking out of all my comfort and I'm saying, God, I'm going to go on that mission trip. I'm going to do that. I'm going to give that away. I'm going to be generous in my life. I'm going to trust you like I never have before. Not a guilt trip, just an invitation. Last thing, number three. Am I committed to embracing this journey? Am I really committed to embracing the journey? Hmm. Is it possible that you can be on the journey but not embrace it? Yeah, it is. So that's why I want to declare today our faith in this God who wants to tabernacle with us. He loves you. He believes in you. And he wants all of you heart, soul, mind, body, and spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that all the accumulation, all the need for getting, growing, becoming, it all may matter in the smaller things of life, but in the big picture. Thank you for tabernacling with us Thank you. Thank you for coming and dwelling among us. Put that hope in people's hearts right now who don't have it. Show them that you are a committed God that will show them the way, the path, the journey. They are not going to be left alone. You're the provider. I am the Lord your God. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting the little things in our lives that you have provided. Maybe just take a moment right now and just start to thank him for things maybe you've taken for granted. Just right now, just, Lord, thank you for, and just just put some words in there. Things that are simple that maybe you wouldn't have even thought of. Thank you that I'm breathing today, Lord. Thank you. If there's anyone here who hasn't started the journey with God, maybe you're curious, maybe you're here at the invitation of a friend, I don't know, but today's a good day to start. Takes faith. Right now where you are, just say, Lord, I want to start my journey. I want to start my journey. I'm going to confess that you are my Lord and Savior. Forgive me and cleanse me. I'm going to start my journey today, and I want to hold on to the faith that I'm hearing about today. I'm going to trust you. Lastly, Lord, I pray for those who need peace, who are struggling with anxiety, worry. It's hard to live with palms open and not grab it and not own it, but to steward it. Show us, Lord, how to depend first on you for everything and to rely on you for everything. But help us to work hard. Help us not to be afraid to give it our all. And trust you in your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.